0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Carrierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncarrierville.org. So it was about this time a year ago that my world turned completely upside down. My dissertation was due to my advisor and there was a hard deadline. And I was working on it one evening and my computer glitched. And I'd never seen it do this before. It was unusual. I, I didn't know what to think. Not a big deal. I'll restart my computer. So I restarted my laptop and To my surprise, part of my dissertation was gone. And I began to panic. But Then I realized, it's backed up to the cloud. No problems, no worries, no issues. It's backed up to the cloud. So I go to OneDrive, I find my dissertation, I look, and the same section in the cloud is also gone. And I cannot describe to you the fear that came over me at that moment. So I called Microsoft. I spent about an hour and a half on the phone. And a gentleman eventually, after looking at my computer, told me there is nothing we can do. And I was sunk because I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to meet the deadline, and I really doubted that I had it in me to redo this very large section all over again. So the next day, I decided to call again. But this time, instead of calling the office side of Microsoft, I called the OneDrive side of Microsoft. And I eventually was sent to a gentleman in India by the name of Aaron. And Aaron talked to me for a short period of time, and he said, did they really tell you there was nothing they could do? And I said, yes. And he said, Mr. Brewer, I am an authority on this. And I am telling you they're wrong. And if you will trust in me, I will recover that section of your dissertation. I will bring it back, and you'll be okay. And after what I had experienced the day before, I had my doubts. But I said, Aaron, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in your authority. And so I'm turning my computer over to you. And through distance access, I watched him over the next hour work on my computer. He went to areas of my computer that I didn't even know existed. And he didn't say much. I could hear him clicking on his keyboard all the way on the other side of the world. And then suddenly I hear Aaron say this. Aha. And my heart began to fill with joy. And I said, Aaron, are you telling me there's a chance? And he said, Mr. Brewer, I found it. I've reconstructed it and it's back. And so he eventually logged out of my computer, and I clicked on my dissertation, and there it was. Every single word and period. And so as Aaron was getting off the phone with me, I said, Aaron, I want you to know that other than my wife and my children, you are the most important person in the world to me right now. And he said, Mr. Brewer... You would be amazed how often I hear that. <laughs> and, and but it was it was true because his authority his 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 knowledge his in essence his power over the computer brought me peace and joy. Because of his authority on the subject on OneDrive I was content. So this morning We're going to look at Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at the authority of Jesus Christ. The authority that brings us peace and joy in this life and the life to come. Let's pray. King Jesus, we rejoice in your words which are true. We rejoice in your authority which gives us direction, which gives us hope, which gives us peace. We need it so desperately. We have hearts that need to be calmed and souls that need to be soothed. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that Your words this morning would would encourage us and strengthen us, that You would make our footsteps firm, that You would remind us, Lord Jesus, like You have our children, that our names are written on the hands of our Father and what good news that is for us. Lord Jesus, be with us. Draw us closer to You. And Lord, may we leave this place this morning looking a little bit more like You, talking a little bit more like You. And may we be a shining example to those in this world who do not understand what it means to possess Your grace and Your love and Your mercy. O great King, it's in your name for your sake we pray. Amen. There are two things we're going to look at this morning. The first is the authority of the Holy One of God. The second one is the authority of our King's words. The authority of the Holy One of God, the authority of our King's words. So we've talked about the last two weeks how Jesus has risen out of the waters to lead His people on a new and better exodus. After His inauguration at the Jordan River, He immediately heads to the wilderness where He does battle with Satan. Jesus goes to the wilderness, He encounters His adversary, He encounters our adversary, and He conquers him. And so when we see Jesus come out of the wilderness, we are reminded of Israel going into the wilderness and all of their failings. We are also reminded of Adam who was in the garden. Perfection. The garden was a place where the presence of God was there. It was a place without sin and there Adam fell. And so Jesus comes out of the difficulty and strife of the wilderness and He has obeyed the Word of God. He is perfect in His covenant obedience. He does not fail. And then Jesus heads to Galilee proclaiming the good news of the arrival of the kingdom of God. Here he calls his first disciples for his mission of redemption. It's a very expedient journey that we see in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is a shorter gospel. And what he's trying to communicate is the significance of the mission that Jesus has owned to redeem his people and to establish the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is now in Capernaum. So if you're not familiar with Capernaum it is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee it was a significant town at the time of Jesus Jesus's ministry it wasn't a major town but it was a significant town it was on a main trading route it was they had their own tax collector um, for the Roman Empire in that city and that was Matthew and that's one of the tax collectors was Matthew. And so we learned that that's where he came from as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's roughly two miles from where Jesus met John the baptizer. It's roughly two miles from where Jesus left the Jordan River and went into the wilderness. It is a central place in the life of Jesus. This town has importance to Jesus like Bethlehem and like Nazareth. In fact, The majority of His miracles and sermons are the miracles performed and sermons preached happen in and around Capernaum. Matthew calls this His city. Matthew calls Capernaum the city of the Lord. It is the base of His Galilean ministry. And so in Capernaum, Jesus enters into the synagogue. I love the way Mark structures this. I love the way that Mark writes his gospel, Jesus in the river and all the significance that that has for Israel. And then Jesus in the wilderness and all the significance that has as for Israel as well. And then to the synagogue, a place where the Israelites came to learn about the law and to hear about Yahweh and Jesus goes there and he begins to teach to teach. In fact, there's two important places in this passage. The first is the synagogue, the second is the home of Peter. So he enters and we see that beginning with verse 23, a man with an unclean spirit attacks Jesus. Now that's interesting. Because as we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we look at the ministry of Jesus, there is often confusion about Him. His own family was confused, if you will remember. The disciples are consistently confused about Jesus. Who are you and why are you here? But notice that when he enters the synagogue, that the unclean spirit, the demonic spirit, immediately understands what? That Jesus is the Son of God. That He is the Holy One. And so what Mark is doing in his Gospel is he's painting a picture of the tension that now exists because the kingdom of God has arrived. There is a real and significant tension, a battle, if you will, of good and evil. We've already seen that in the wilderness. Mark is telling us, he's telling his audience, that the stakes are extremely high. It reminds me of movies about the Old West where there's the standoff in the street And you you can imagine the music in your head and people are peering through the windows. That, in some sense, is what is happening here. That Jesus, the King of the kingdom, has arrived and the demonic spirits of this world suddenly pay attention and realize what is happening in their midst and they're afraid. A real spiritual showdown. Because of the fall, we learned that the reign and rule of Satan is is real. The spirit has dominion over this man, and he wants nothing to do with Jesus. And he knows who Jesus is. Don't I? Don't have time to go into the theology of demons and demon demonic activity and and so forth. But I think there's a great quote from C.S. Lewis that will help us as we're thinking about demonic spirits, as we're thinking about unclean spirits. I think this quote helps. Here's what the famous author and Christian apologist had to say. There are two equal and opposite eras into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe And to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I think that's a good, I think that's a really good thing to say regarding demons and demonic activity, two equal and opposite eras. To disbelieve and to give too much credit and to have too much interest as those who belong to the resurrected king. So last week I gave you the definition for the kingdom of God. It is the unquestioned reign and rule of God over everything and everyone. The unquestioned reign and rule of God over everything and everyone. So as king, Jesus exercises his sovereign authority. He cast out the demons. What you see in this interaction, what you see in this engagement that takes place in the synagogue in Capernaum is that Jesus will not tolerate the deception. Jesus will not permit the lies that evil has no place in His kingdom. Hear that. Evil has no place in His kingdom. And so like we mentioned last week, you hear that and you take a step back. And you say to yourself, well, hold on. Wait a second. There is a lot of evil in this world. I have friends that have experienced evil. I have seen evil on television. I personally know what evil is. I understand the ramifications of the fall. I understand the full ramifications of sin. So what do you mean when you say that evil has no place in His kingdom? Well, remember that God has established His kingdom. He sent His Son to begin the process of the kingdom. But like a mustard seed, it starts out very small and it will grow. So when we see Jesus in the synagogue having no tolerance for the lies unwilling to accept this unclean spirit, no room in His agenda for evil, it is a reminder that that is a taste. That is just an appetizer of what we're going to see when the kingdom comes in all its fullness. That when Jesus returns in victory, when He returns as the conquering king, when He establishes His kingdom, evil will be no more. So it's something that we look to and we hold on to that amidst all the problems and evil of this life, and they are real and they are palpable, that the cross tells us that there is coming a day when that will be no more. And there lies my hope. There lies my hope. Evil will have no place in His kingdom. And then we also see that because of the authority that Jesus has as Lord and as King, that He requires submission. He tells the demon to leave the man. And so it, it makes us think of Matthew twenty eight sixteen through 18. And what's interesting about this passage, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, and He gathers with His disciples. And where does He gather with them? In Capernaum. So here we see the beginning of His ministry in the synagogue in Capernaum, and then at the end of His ministry on this earth, we see Him gathering with His disciples on the mountain in Capernaum. And He says, to, he says Matthew 28, 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted again. And Jesus came and said to them, Hear this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is all powerful. He has all the authority. He is our king. He is everything. And so we just see an unbelievable picture of the authority of Jesus in the synagogue when He sends out this unclean spirit. And it has so many ramifications for us of what Jesus is doing and what He will ultimately do in the establishment of the kingdom. And that is the clarity we need that is the rock on which we need to stand in order to navigate a life in a world that is filled with evil. That evil comes at us from every direction. It's a great truth to remember the authority of Jesus regarding the evil and the difficulties that we experience in this life on display for us at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, at the beginning of His ministry. So we talked about Jesus' appearance in the synagogue in Capernaum, and then the second location that we see is Peter and Andrew's home. Jesus graciously and lovingly heals Peter's mother-in-law. That's one of those texts in the Gospels that when you read it, you transfer, you transfer yourself into Peter's mother-in-law, and you just imagine what it will be like for Jesus to heal you and to lift you up. It's Just one of those passages where you can see yourself in that position, and you can hear the, the sounds of Jesus. You can hear, you can feel His touch, and and just you long for the day when He changes everything. Like He did for Peter's mother-in-law, who was, who was just sick. Not dead. Just sick. What a graceful and beautiful picture of who our Savior is and what an encouragement to us. So what Mark is doing is he's writing his Gospel as He's talked about Exodus, as He's he's talked about covenant obedience and the coming of the kingdom, in in chapter 1, He's just putting it out in front of us. He's just putting it on the table. And He's saying, you want proof that the kingdom of God has come? That the King of the kingdom has arrived? Well, here it is from the start. He He is healing people. And He is overcoming evil. He is showing power and authority over our adversary. This is what it's going to be like when the kingdom of God has come in all its fullness. And for the Old Testament audience, for the for the Jewish people who were reading Mark, they would have understood as they're seeing demons casted out and as they are seeing people healed, they would have immediately thought, wait a second, is this the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied regarding? Is this Him? Has He come? Indeed, has the kingdom arrived? And Mark is saying, it has. That the Galilean, that the carpenter from Nazareth, that the one who has been resurrected from the dead, is the king who has come to establish his reign and rule. There's one last thing I want to mention. We see at the end of this passage that the townspeople of Capernaum come to Peter's house. And you can imagine the desperation they have in bringing their family members who are sick and people who are oppressed by Satan and his demonic spirits, and they're flocking to Jesus. They're coming to this front door. They're wanting to, wanting to meet Him, and Jesus is healing them. Jesus is doing wonderful and powerful things. But at the very end, it says, if you'll, if you'll go back and look with me just quickly... In verse 34, And He healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And He would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew Him. Why? Why would Jesus do that? I think the answer is, His time had not come in all its fullness. That Jesus was not ready to go to the cross. Jesus was not ready to ascend the hill to Jerusalem. That there was a great misunderstanding about the role of the Messiah. That the Jewish people looked, as the Messiah, looked to the Messiah as one who would help rid them of Roman military oppression. That, that they would establish a new government with a Davidic king. And Jesus is all about His spiritual kingdom that He is bringing to earth. And He knows that they're going to misunderstand why He is here and what He has come to do. So he doesn't allow the demons to speak because Jesus has many years of ministry left before he goes to the cross. And so that's just an important aside. When Vicky and I lived in Orlando, we lived about 35, 40 minutes from Disney World. And his friends would come to visit Orlando Inevitably, they would call us and say, would you come to Disney with us? Well, a couple of things. One, it's expensive. You know, it's just expensive to go to Disney World. And no one ever offered to pay. It was, why don't you come to Disney with us? Great. Um, Also, it's not vacation for us. We live there. And so we have to stop what we're doing. We have to cancel certain activities in order to go to Disney World. So we quickly figured out this is not the best thing to do when people call and ask. And so what we learned is that there's an area right outside of the Magic Kingdom and right outside of Epcot called Disney Boardwalk. And guess what? This is super important. It's free. You, you can go to Disney Boardwalk, and you don't have to pay a thing. And you can go to some great restaurants, and you can enjoy the entertainment. You can scroll stroll up and down the boardwalk. You can even see it, and I think it's 9 o'clock, the fireworks that go off at the Magic Kingdom and at Epcot. It is a beautiful way to be at Disney and not have your pockets emptied. Just think about it this way. You're at Disney but not really. You're at Disney, but not yet. You get to experience some of the good things of Disney World, but you're really not experienced Disney in all its fullness. And that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. We are on the boardwalk, and we enjoy the entertainment, and we have certain blessings that come from being in this place, but we're looking off in the distance at the greatness and the goodness and the wonder that is to come. Just remember that. So what does this mean for us? Well, Mark is writing to Christians in Rome who are experiencing persecution. Many of them will face death. Their world is crumbling simply because they believe Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. So Mark is telling them that Jesus has authority over the struggles of this life. He has authority over sin and death. He is in control of all the difficult things that surround them. His kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is off in the distance when it arrives in all its fullness will bring order to the chaos and joy to those who suffer. You will know eternal peace because Jesus has dominion and He has power. And it's the same message for us. Because Jesus has authority, He is delivering us. He has rescued us. Like Peter's mother-in-law, He has and will continue to lift us up. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, He is guarding our hearts, our minds, and our souls from our our adversary. His resurrection means that there is a solution to the evil that we see in this world. Joy and peace belong to us because our King is on His throne and His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming. So that's the authority of the Holy One of God. Authority for us. Authority that brings hope. An authority that brings peace. And then secondly, I want us to look at the authority of our King's words. The authority of our King's words. So, I had a great aunt that was a wonderful person. She was very involved in my life and very involved in my father's life. My great aunt and uncle were never able to have children. So in many respects, they were like my grandparents. In fact, I was perhaps almost a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old before I even realized that they weren't my grandparents. That's how strong my relationship with them was in my childhood. And so when she passed away, my great uncle, who I called Big Brother, he gave my mother her cookbooks. And she was a a really wonderful cook and my mother was excited to have some of the recipes that belonged to her. And so um, I believe that Vicki and I were living in Orlando at the time, and my mother called me, and she said, you're never going to believe this. I decided to go through the cookbooks today and realized that she had been using them as a journal towards the end of her life. She unfortunately had Alzheimer's disease. And you could almost see an urgency in her writing that these are things that I need to say before I'm no longer able to speak. And they were just funny comments. Some instructions about how to care for my great uncle when she was gone. A lot of prayers directed to me, asking the Lord to bless me and watch over me and keep me and guide me. And I will tell you, as a grown adult now, and having such a love for her and fondness for her in my heart, that those I will cherish those cookbooks forever. They're in my closet at home where I keep a lot of my books. I will look at them from time to time to just be reminded of how lovely she was and how much she loved me. Those are special words, those are powerful words to me. And as believers, We have the words of Christ. He speaks to us through Scripture. Jesus ministers to us through the Holy Spirit as we read the Word of God, helping us to hear and understand Him. I think because we read so much in the course of everyday life, and look, I know there are people in here who are not readers per se, but if you really step back and think about it, we're constantly reading in order to navigate the world in which we live. From instruction manuals to billboards to to what scrolls across the bottom of our television, we are constantly reading. And I think think sometimes we make the mistake that when we come to the Word of God, we we look at, at it on the same level as everything else that we have to read. I remember being a student in school and there were so many assignments and you had to read so much. And I remember having to read the Bible and it often felt like that I was just reading something along the lines of what I had to read in English and in history and in science and other subjects. So, is it just another book? And the answer is, of course, unequivocally no. That it is the Word of God that Jesus is speaking to us through His Word. And that as I cherish the cookbooks that belong to my great aunt, we should cherish the Word of God because Jesus is speaking to us. That when we open it up and we look at those pages, He's, He's whispering to us the reality of His love and His grace and His authority and His goodness. That when we open the pages of Scripture, we are reminded that our God was not content to leave us in our sin and misery. That He looked to His Son, and He said to Him, will you go and pursue them, and redeem them, and bring them back to Me? And Jesus obeys the will of the Father perfectly. He does that for us. And so the Word of God and I don't mean to sound sappy in saying this, but the Word of God is a love letter to us. That's how important it is. But one thing I think we often fail to understand about Scripture is, and this was sadly, as I mentioned last week, so I'm sad to say this, I didn't learn this until seminary. That when we read the Word of God, when we engage the Word of God, the promise is for God's people that the Holy Spirit is going to work through the text, through the words, to open our eyes and open our ears so that we can see the beauty of God's written Word, that we can see and hear His message of redemption to us. And we can grow in grace. That's a powerful thing to think about. That the Holy Spirit is working through Scripture to change us, to mold us, to shape us. So we see in verse 22 through 25 of Mark chapter 1 that Jesus has great power and authority. His words have great power and authority. This should not be a surprise to us, honestly. It should not be a surprise to us. Think about John chapter 1, verse 14. John tells us that Jesus is the Word that has come in the flesh, the One who spoke all things into existence, who has walked among us. So God's Word has power for believers. Hear that again. God's Word has power for believers. We know that according to the Word of God that it nourishes us. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found and I ate them. And Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by Your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I'll never forget that John Hunter has been diagnosed with celiac and we're having a hard time figuring out what to feed him, what foods to give him. And we were in Nashville at a restaurant and we found out that they had ribs that were gluten-free. In other words, the barbecue sauce that they used was gluten-free, that they were cooked in an area that was protected that he could have these ribs. They brought out a full slab. And when I saw that full slab, I thought... Man, I'm getting half of those. So I'm going to get to eat my dinner, and I'm going to get to eat some of these ribs. And before I could look up, before I could figure out what was happening, in front of me was the graveyard. If you guys are not familiar with barbecue culture, the graveyard is where you place the bones after you eat the ribs. John Hunter, there's no other way to say this, destroyed those ribs. He inhaled them. And what a beautiful picture when we see Jeremiah saying that for the, the Word of God is that appetizing for him that he inhaled the Word of God. He ate the Word of God. He took in the Word of God. He was, he was starved for the Word of God. And what did it do? <laughs> the same thing that those ribs did for John Hunter. They brought him joy and delight. Look, and I had to ask myself this question. When when was the last time the the Word of the Lord brought you joy and delight? That you consumed it, desired it? It's a question to ask. So not only does the Word of God nourish us, but the Word of God also sustains us. Turn turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. This is is an important passage. Hebrews chapter 1 beginning with verse 1. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He, underline this, he upholds the universe by the pow- by the word of his power he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs so not only does the word of god nourish us does not only not only does the word of god have Authority, but the Word of God sustains all things. That there is power in His words. So much so that everything is held together by the words of Christ, truly in a way in which we cannot fully understand. If you look over at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the words of God not only have power and authority, they not only nourish us, they not only sustain all things, but they are alive. This is what I mentioned earlier, that the Word of God is alive. Alive, that through the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus in our souls, He is bringing the Word to life in us. And the Word of God is trustworthy. Jesus' words are trustworthy. John 17 14 through 17. I've given them your Word. So last week I gave you the theological term inaugurated eschatology. Big word, important meaning. This week I'm going to give you two other theological words. Inerrant and infallible. Jesus' words are trustworthy. Theologians have said that God's word is inerrant. That means it is true. It is without error. And perhaps more importantly, it is also infallible. That means that it is incapable of error. So the Word of God is trustworthy. It is true. It is inerrant. The Word of God will not fail you. The Word of God will not lead you wrong. It is infallible, inerrant and infallible. So Scripture comes to us through human authors. The Holy Spirit works in and through them to deliver us the divine and perfect directives of a holy, sovereign, and trustworthy King. Jesus has authority. Jesus' words have authority. And that authority, His kingship, means everything to us as God's people. So let us not forget that His Word is our guide. The gracious and tender words of our resurrected Savior come to us through the pages of Scripture. As the one who sits on the throne of grace, He speaks to us lovingly, graciously, and with all authority. He assures us that He is the light that has come into the darkness. He is restoring all things to Himself. The coming of His kingdom is the answer to every question. So hear this, Trinity. That When we come to the Word of God in this journey that is called life, this journey that is filled with pitfalls and struggles and problems, it is a hard road. This is a difficult path that we travel. That when we go on this journey, amidst the highs and amidst the lows, that through the Word of God, our King who rules from His throne speaks to us and He speaks into our struggles. He speaks into our pain. He addresses our fears he calms our heart he reminds us of his resurrection he shows us how he is restoring all things to himself he shows us how everything is going to be changed he talks about evil his word is a word of promise it is a word of hope, it Is a word of joy, it is a word of peace. For us, His children, that He loves. And when we come to the Scriptures, we find Him and He has the last word. Remember that. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You that Your Word is just so unbelievably powerful. And we thank You that our King has authority over our sin and our struggles and our issues and our lives and this world. And so we praise You and we glorify You that You have spoken, that You have not left us clueless, that You have not left us in the dark, that Your Word is... Is the only rule and God for faith in life. And Father, work in us a greater desire to cling to it, to know it, and to find hope there. So, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.